Hello. We are so glad that you could join us today. Our prayer is that as you listen to the word, you would take this time to draw nearer to God as an individual and as a family. God loves you so so much, and his desire is for you to get closer to him in this season through worship, through dwelling in his word and prayer. Well, I'm so glad to be back with you again this week and uh you know, I desire to minister the truth of the gospel. And I want to just pray right now and ask that the Holy Spirit would minister this truth to your heart. Father, I ask that you would cause these words that I'm about to speak to minister into the hearts of your people. I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would anoint the preparation that I have made and that, Father, we would have ears to hear and eyes to see and a spirit that would respond. So, Father, as I preach today, I'm asking, Lord, that you would uh, stir men, stir men and women to take the Word of God for what it really is and cause it to have your effect on our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. The, uh, the church is, as you know, uh, worldwide, being stretched and pushed and pulled in many different directions. And the church is really God's answer to the world that is being torn apart. And uh, as the church begins to uh, rise up and take its place, as God is beginning to speak again, and he's been speaking all along, but there, 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 is a, there seems to be a separation between sheep and goats and between you know, light and darkness and... Uh, I think it's an important time for us as churches, as leaders, as Christians to know where we stand. One of the dangers that I'm seeing is how the class of politically correct and the woke agenda is beginning to creep into the mainstream of our society. It seems that even among believers, there's a feeling that we must somehow apologize for having strong beliefs, especially if they are strong morally or if they rub against the fur of the so-called enlightened positions of their day. The constant propaganda that's being spewed out by what is called the mainstream media and the disinformation, misinformation, and distortion of statistics for political expediency have created a society that is no longer motivated to build together and to seek the good of their neighbor. Rather, it's every man for himself. And, and fear has gripped the hearts of so many people. Fear of what others might say, of being canceled or spoken ill of on social media, or even being bullied into submission. It's time for the church to rise up and clearly begin to espouse the gospel of freedom that's in Christ Jesus. We carry a gospel that unleashes the power of God. The fear that is being used to control society and the measures that are being used to quell this so-called pandemic, by the way, where 99% of the people get recovery, this is destroying every fabric of life for most people. The goal would seem to be more control by governments, less freedoms for individuals, totalitarianism and authoritarian leaders, uh, dictating to the rest of us how we're supposed to live. Well, they do as they please. There's a few oligarchs around the world determining what's best for the masses or the general public. There's a two-tiered standard of justice. In this kind of an environment, there's a need for a clear sound from the church, from Christians. 
we must hold to the truth of what God himself outlined in the Bible as his will and his purpose for mankind. He's not changed. He's not changed his purpose for man on earth. And it's every human being that has to claim their place with God and come to faith regarding the truth. We need to hold the convictions of our consciences. By the way, no man has the right to violate your conscience or my conscience. God gave us those unalienable rights. God gave us the, the right to have a sovereign God. He gave us the right to hold to truth, and He gave us the right to live by our consciences. And He forbids another man to break another man's conscience. No man has that right. No government has that right. Even in the so-called best interests of everyone, that's being manipulated to change the goalposts. I'm deeply concerned by what is transpiring in the world and how it's affecting us here in Zimbabwe. But I'm, I'm more concerned by the, the trends I see creeping into the church. We're seeing a weakening or a watering down of the truth to suit the needs of a godless and antichrist spirit that is slowly overtaking our society. And it's now begun to appear in our churches. Many are no longer preaching the truth, but they've adopted what I call a gospel of accommodation. And uh, the word accommodation is, uh, means to uh, adapt, to make suitable or acceptable. It also means to adjust, to make something convenient. It means to yield to the desire of others or to placate, to placate someone else. This is part of the problem with what is being preached as the gospel in many churches around the world today. Many of the self, self-help so-called gospel messages or the, the New Age or spiritualist infiltrated gospel messages, the Eastern mix in the gospel, uh, are beginning to uh, take a few scriptures and tie them together with all kinds of extracurricular thoughts. And it's created a message of uh, a gospel of inclusivity, that we include everybody. In fact, there are even whole movements now that are saying that, hey, look, we need to include all of the uh, monotheistic gods because they're the same God and we, you know, after all, if we all serve the same God, we can all worship together. No, that's not true. The fact of the matter is that there is no access to Almighty God except through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth and Jesus is the life. And I know that that may sound so uninclusive, but I didn't write the Bible. I didn't say that. God did. And we must hold our place in truth and in holding forth that truth to people. There are many that are pushing this so-called gospel and they're trying to silence or to cancel culture the truth of the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, there are many Christian leaders who for the sake of acceptance in this woke culture are compromising their standards on critical biblical doctrines. The gospel of Jesus does not placate the weaknesses of our flesh and of our selfish desires. Rather, it confronts all of us in our sins. Last week I began to speak about what it means to be holy or what holiness is and its place in the church. This is a topic that is discussed and wrestled with by biblical scholars, theologians, saints and sinners. But most agree that to be holy means to be separate or to be set apart. Now, now that is, a, uh, that is a great as a point of reference, but how does that help me to be holy? 
You see, I want to know how to be holy, how to live a holy life, especially in an age that is becoming more and more accommodating of sin. If we're going to be holy, we should probably take the example of the one who lived as the exact representation of holiness on earth, Jesus. Listen, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not on yourself only, on your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, I'm amazed at how many people and how so many think that being holy means to escape the world while we live in it. But the truth is, holiness isn't being perfect, uh, but it's using our holiness to serve others. Jesus served people with his holiness. He was holy, but he didn't escape the world. He didn't run away from people. Jesus ran to people. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That doesn't sound like I become holy and I run away from everybody. It's I'm holy that I might be like Christ and go to people and serve them. Holiness isn't being perfect, like I said before, but it's using our holiness to serve people, to die to ourselves, to represent Jesus to the best of our abilities, wherever we find ourselves, in whatever domain, whatever station in life that God has placed us in. We are to interface. We're there as His salt, His light, His representatives. The Apostle Paul, again, speaks of the fruit of the Spirit as being something that is in us. But how, how many of you know that fruit uh, is for the benefit of others around us? A tree doesn't bear fruit for itself. It's for the benefit of those that eat from the tree. Galatians 5, 22 through 26 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us live or let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Boy, can you, can you see the picture there? If we're walking in the Spirit, if we have the fruit of the Spirit, we're not provoking other people. We're not making us envious. We're, we're serving one another. We have crucified our flesh. We have crucified like Jesus was crucified. We've been crucified. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ who lives in me. So with this in mind, I want to look at three accommodations of sin 
that have crept into the church but are in this age. Uh, it's the age that we live in. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Number one uh, is man's love for pleasure. That word pleasure uh, is defined as sensuality, lust, voluptuousness, uh, exciting, excitement, gratifying, gratifying our sensual pleasures. Second Timothy says, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. What are the things that have given us this sense of pleasure? I don't know. Uh, the things creep into our lives. What are the things that accommodate or that we're accommodating or taking our focus off of God? For some people, it's sport. Others, it's their X and R-rated movies or pornography or social media or sexting. Uh, the Bible says the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Or the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust for other things. You see, because men and women love these things, they want to bring them into their lives. They want to bring them also into the house of God. But these things cannot be accommodated in the house of God. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 8 says... These resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds counterfeit regarding the faith. Timothy was being corrected. Paul was correcting him saying, look, there are some people that resist the truth. And so much so that they're counterfeit. See, Paul compares these to Janus and Jambres, who were the magicians that withstood Moses when he was with Pharaoh. These magicians were able to do the same tricks or the same magic, or the same signs and wonders that Moses was able to do. That's pretty amazing. They were only able to do the first three. Moses threw down a rod, they threw their rods down, they turned into snakes. Of course, Moses' rod ate the other two snakes. That's quite interesting. When Paul makes this comparison of Janus and Jambres, what he's really saying is it's depicting the kind of wickedness that would be in the world in these last days and that would begin to creep into the church. The second is the accommodation of man's aversion to self-denial. You know, <laughs> we live in a world that is totally averse to waiting for anything. We have been called the microwave generation, the instant generation. And, and the idea of delayed gratification hardly exists today. You know, we have government leaders that take what they want when they want it. They, live, they have houses of luxury and cars and wealth, while the people that they're supposed to be serving can't even make their ends meet. We have business entrepreneurs that enrich themselves using company funds and investor funds immediately moving into the mansion and driving the S-Class Mercedes while the company, the company is struggling to stay afloat. We have entertainers filling our children's minds with fantasies about being rich and what supposedly uh, that looks like. And it looks like you get it very quickly and by all means possible. Whether it's drugs or gangs or hip-hop lifestyle, uh, there, there's all kinds of messages that are being pumped into our children. What's amazing to me is how many people are living beyond their means and hoping that somehow they're going to have a miracle to solve their problems. 
We even have preachers that feed the illusion that you can sow a seed today and solve years of bad management and unrighteous living by tomorrow morning. Miracle seeds, we call them. Well, it's not different than going to the witch doctor. They make the same promises that you will somehow avoid having to do what the Bible says and what God teaches. The Bible says little bit by little bit. That's how God secures wealth for the saints. You grow in your wealth. You grow into it and you maintain it. And then you leave an inheritance for the generations to come. I did a whole series on this called Christianomics. I would recommend that you get that series. I go through the basic steps of how to secure a foundation, how to secure your primary investment, how to build investments, and how over time you can leave an inheritance for your children and then your children's children, something that can be built on and grown on. Uh, that's not a real popular message these days in this instant, hey, I can get it today and don't have to worry about it tomorrow attitude and, and, and uh, self-serving uh, age that we live in. Exodus 23 says, I will not drive out your enemies before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against you. Little bit by little bit, I will drive them out from before you until you be increased and inherit the land. Deuteronomy 7 verse 22 says, And the Lord thy God will put out those nations before you little bit by little bit, that thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 says, But... Thou shalt remember the Lord your God, for it is He that gives you the power to get wealth. Why? That He might establish His covenant, which He swear unto your fathers as it is this day. See, God's a covenant God. God wants you to get wealth. God wants to bless you, but He's not going to give it to you all at once. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Well, I've got news for you that we need to, all of us, understand that God is working in our character almost as much as He is in our finances. He wants you to financially prosper. He says, but I would have you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And so God's got this thing where He's building the character so you can sustain the wealth, so you can sustain your life. And I'm sorry, it doesn't come instantly. There is no instant gratification. Uh, in fact, we need to teach our children that, hey, you don't get everything just because you want it, just because you think you need it. You know, sometimes it's little bit by little bit. Number three, accommodation of man's offense to the cross. First Peter 2, verses 6 through 8 says, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Boy, let me tell you something. The cross of Jesus is an offense to those who are perishing. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. Can I tell you something? God demands more than just coming to the cross. He demands going through the cross. 
Here's the offense. The offense is this. The cross takes all that we have, all that we own, and all that we trust in. You know, it's one thing to kneel before the cross or to claim salvation by a single confession of faith. So many want all the benefits of the cross without going to the cross itself. The fact is that Christ has been sacrificed and he has covered all of our sins. But we must understand, it's not just coming to the cross, but a following on with Jesus to death, the tomb, burial, and then, yes, resurrection power and the newness of life. It's not coming to an altar and praying a prayer at the foot of the cross and then returning to our sins and our sinful lives. That's not what was intended when we gave our lives to Christ. We must die to sin. We must be resurrected in newness of life. This is the offense of the cross. Romans 6, verses 4 through 6 says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also would walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. Romans 8, verses 10-11 says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. You know, we must go all the way when we come to Christ. There's no half measures. We identify with His death. We identify with his burial, and we identify with his resurrection. You know, God demands full obedience. He demands that, he demands all that we have, all that we are, and all that we ever hope to be. Paul spoke of his life in these terms. He says, I die daily. You see, not only do we come to his cross, but we have to also pick up our cross and go through with him. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Follow me. God doesn't just want to save our souls someday. He wants our bodies to be holy. Romans 12, verse 1, you know this. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is the offense of the cross. The claims of the cross will not comfort us in our sins, but will rebuke us and reprove us. Jesus didn't die to deliver mankind from the idea of sin. No, but from the dominion of sin over our lives. Titus 2, verses 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present or this unrighteous world. 2 Corinthians verses 7, 8 through 10 says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle had made you sorry, though it were but for a season. 
Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For if you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might, not, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. You see, there's a huge difference between repentance and remorsefulness. Some people are sorry that they got caught. Some people are sorry that, you know, hey, they tarnished their image or their name because of their sin. But they're not really sorry unto repentance, that they want to quit. That's what Paul did in the book of Corinthians. There was a man there who was having sex with his mother-in-law, and, and it was, he was a leader. He was, he was a man in the church, and, and, and he... he, he, he Paul had to go in and really shake things up. and uh, He shamed the whole church because they wouldn't deal with it. And when he wrote in his letter, he was afraid that he had offended them so badly that he would lose some of them. You know, sometimes to deal with sin is hard in our own lives and in the lives of others. But then he writes and he says, Oh, but I'm so happy because I see that you repented. You turned. And he goes on and he describes how they repented. He, he said, you made, uh, you made a feast of it. You, 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 you were so diligent. You, and and, and he, uh, if you, if you can go read it. It's just amazing how he flips the whole thing around and he's rejoicing in what they've done, how they have lived and how they've taken care of this. So this godly sorrow is what works repentance in us, not remorse. Not just feeling sorry for ourselves. And God desires all men. He desires all of us to repent of our sin. But he also wants us to live for him in this life. You know, I heard a story about a man who took his son camping and warned him to not stand on the bank of the river while he was fishing because the crocodiles were everywhere. So the the father showed him kind of a, a rocky outcrop from which he could fish safely. After a few days, though, the son became bored with this outcrop this outcrop, this rocky outcrop, and he hadn't seen any crocodiles, so he he went down and he climbed into a canoe and began fishing from the canoe. It wasn't long after that when the father was startled by cries of distress coming from his son, begging him to save him. A large crocodile had whipped its tail up against that canoe and capsized the canoe, and the boy was in the water, and the father, without hesitation, dives into the water, and he saves his son. When the son finally came to his senses, he saw that the crocodile had shredded his father's legs. Now, let's suppose that the son, after all of this, and after seeing the price that his father had paid for his salvation, turns to the father and says, Hey, Dad, thanks for saving me, but you know, I find it quite exciting out there in the water with those crocodiles. You wouldn't mind if I got back in the canoe again and tried it again, would you? You know, the fact that the son could even think a thing like that, let alone speak it, shows that the boy doesn't really understand the sacrifice that his father had made for him. Think about that. Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and for me on the cross. In fact, he went down to the very jaws of hell to save us. Do we understand the length, the depth, the expanse of the love of God, what God went to, to in order to save us. I read earlier in that passage of Scripture that one of the distinguishing marks of an unregenerate person is ingratitude. They became unthankful 
and unholy. Unthankfulness always leads to unholiness. Gratitude is what makes you want to tell somebody else about Jesus. Gratitude is what makes you want to live a life that is holy, separated. See, if you have really seen what God has done for you, you'll do anything for him. In fact, we cry out like the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6, 14, he says, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. How do I go back to the world after such a salvation has been paid for me? Hebrews has a stern warning. I even hate to read this sometimes. The Bible says in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift that were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. If we really know what Jesus did on the cross, and until we have that revelation, we won't live holy lives. We can't bring our sins back into the church, into our lives. God's calling us to live holy lives. Listen to what Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24 says. It says, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. You see, we're called to live lives that are separated to God. We can't allow ourselves to accommodate known sin in our lives, nor can we accommodate the world in the church. Right now, let's all just stop for a minute. Let's take a deep, hard look at our own hearts and our own lives. What is it that God's saying to you today? What's it He's saying to us as a church, are we going to be the church that can stand up and be grateful and full of gratitude for what Jesus really did? Or have we begun to accommodate sin, accommodate our own lusts and desires, accommodate things that we shouldn't be messing around with? I don't believe that our church is that kind of a church. I don't believe that you and I desire that. In fact, I want to commend most of you you have been white hot for Jesus. You're on fire for him, and I appreciate that. But there may be someone today, and you are hearing this message, and you're saying, man, I have been accommodating. I've accommodated things, and I've wanted to accommodate things in the church. I've wanted to soften things a little bit. I want you to know something. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard. When things get dark, God turns on the light. And uh, as for me, and as a pastor, I want to take a stand today. I want to resist sin. I want to resist unholiness. And I want to pray for you. If you're listening to this message, and maybe God's convicted you. Maybe God is dealing with your heart. Maybe, uh, maybe you just need, as you take a look at yourself, you, you say, I need to deal with this. Now, there's many ways to deal with it. Number one, right there on the screen, there's some phone numbers. You can contact someone on the other end of that line. They may not be able to help you. They're, they're a counselor. They may be able to pray with you. They may be able to take you through the scriptures. 
But I can tell you this, if they can't help you, they can get you to somebody that can. They can get you to a professional counselor. They can get you to a pastor. They, we can do something to help you find help in your time of need. God wants to deliver you, deliver you out of sin. If you've done something that's sinful, God can forgive you. God can redeem you. But we have to deal with it. If you've accommodated sin in your life, let God help you, help you to recover, be restored. There's other ways you can get help. There's other ways that you can grow. There's things you can do to mature. Right now, our men are gathering and they are having the Be That Man program. There's nothing better for a man than to be a part of Be That Man. There's nothing better for a man than to fellowship with other men. Our soul groups, boy, let me tell you something. If you're not in a soul group, I want to encourage every one of you, more and more as you see the day approaching, we need to be together. Boy, I find people, I'm giving them hugs. I'm, 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 I'm violating every principle because I see people shriveling up because they need somebody to touch them, somebody to pray for them, somebody to love them. And uh, I'll take my chances with COVID to get you healed, to get you loved and touched. Huh. I know that's politically incorrect, but uh, I'm not trying to be politically correct right now. I'm trying to minister to your needs. Women, our Roots program, <laughs> we have 1,200 women doing Roots right now. That is amazing. And if you're not in the Roots program, that's a great way for you to meet other women, become connected, and we're doing it online, but we're also soon going to be back together. We have all kinds of ways that we can minister to each other. The Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. Much more as you see the day of Christ approaching. We need each other. We need to help each other. I love you. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I'm praying for those under the sound of my voice. I'm asking, Lord, that your word, the word that I've spoken today will penetrate hard hearts, will convict, rebuke, and, and cause us to, to face our own sinfulness. Father, we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But Father, today, help us to turn to you with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, and all of our strength in Jesus' name. Now bless those that have listened. Bless those that are hearing. Father, may we not commit the sin of inactivity or inaction. Father, let us take action today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We hope to see you again next week. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that you were blessed and that God will continue to transform your life in this season. If you have a testimony or need prayer and counseling, please send a WhatsApp or a call me to plus 263-784-303900 or plus 263-717-45998. We want to hear from you, and we're here for you, and are ready to listen to you, to pray for you, and to celebrate with you. So thank you, we love you, and stay safe.